Uh, plenty of discussion last week uh, with the docking of uh, the livestock transportation vessel, the Al Kuwaiti in Cape Town Harbour. Something like 19,000 cattle on board. The NSPCA got a tip off that the vessel was en route from Brazil, would stop over for a refuel and a replenishing of stock here in Cape Town before going to its final destination of Iraq. Of course, it came to South Africans or Cape Townians' knowledge when we had that stink. But we have been unaware that the transportation of live livestock has been happening for years. The global output or the global number of animals transported annually is something like 1.2 billion animals transported on cargo vessels around the world. A lot of them are chickens. But there's also cattle, there's also goats, there's also sheep. South Africa exports live sheep to the Gulf countries. uh, South Africa also uh, exports beef to Saudi Arabia. The difference there is that uh, uh, Saudi authorities find uh, South African slaughtering facilities also keeping in line with halal religious lights, they find it perfectly fine. So Saudi Arabia will take beef that is already slaughtered, frozen and transported from South Africa to uh, to to Saudi Arabia. But it is a massive, it is a multi-billion dollar industry. It also speaks to us as consumers. Joining me now is Tabele Kujano, who is an agricultural economist. Also, uh, we'll speak to brute, uh, Beautiful Without Cruelty's Tony Brockhoven in a short while. But Tabele Kujano, thanks so much for joining us. Let's start with, with you. Just let's unpack the global industry, the agricultural industry that sees live animals being transported uh, around the world. We're talking about literally billions of animals being transported, particularly by sea, from many parts of the country, all around the world, Tabile. Uh, good morning to you, Lester, and uh, thanks for having me once again. Yeah, so the the industry is quite big. Um, it has been happening for, for some time, and um, there has been some significant growth in it uh, in terms of exports across the world. And um, if, if I may just give you numbers, for instance, if you're looking to, in terms of values, from 2020, from 2003 at least, around 10.9 billion worth of live animals was uh, imported across the world, and that increased to 2030 uh, billion as of 2022. That's an increase of 113 percent in, in only in, in value, and this, of course, it is varies across country and there are numbers of, of issues you know, underpinning this, and of course, uh, all the regions in the world are in, literally in, involved in this. And this has been happening over for centuries, I'd say. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to Tony in a short while about the humanity, in fact, or the lack of humanity in transporting live animals in this manner. But, but talk to me about the e- economics. Because if people yeah. want a cheaper, more efficient way to transport the agricultural products, and this being cattle or sheep or chicken, yeah. I can't think of a more efficient or cheaper way than traveling and then transporting in this this manner. And this speaks to a global practice of consumerism and capitalism where something needs to be exploited. And in this case, last week, it was 19,000 ends of cattle here in Cape Town. But the industry 
can't think of a better way of how to travel, how to transport animals in this quantity as cheaply as and efficiently as possible. Is that correct? Absolutely. Um, you are spot on, Lester. There. Uh, for instance, the, this has not been the first time such a situation has occurred. I think if you may recall when there was a blockage in the Sonas Canal, uh, I think that was in 2020 when there was a blockage for, for ships to cross uh, between the regions. Um, there were around, around 15 to 20 uh, vessels were stuck there and uh, around 20 of those at least they were assumed, they were said to be livestock and, and then a lot of issues were brought up around that. So specifically, as we are talking about economics of, of this, um, for instance, imagine transporting around 220 tons of, 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 of meat. It's just not going to be feasible or possible when you're doing that on flights. And, and that's why it has been the situation of, um, of like, uh, the countries that are exporting it for farmers. They mainly use, um, uh, water or at least uh, the sea transportation to do that because it is, it makes more economic sense and also because for farmers themselves it is quite um le- uh, more often an uh, affordability thing than to you know to do to use other modes I remember there's a lot of demand of course uh, that is also pushing and driving this but mostly it is also the, the fact that um it makes more economic sense and that is why you have seen a lot of outcry in the uk at this stage there's a bit of demand of uh, a lot of talk around the bill or legislation that is being put, you know, to sort of yeah. regulate this. Because another issue is the regulation internationally. There is no specific, or at least certain countries that are involved in certain, you know, alignments or groupings, they are discussing it, but it is not a specially standardized kind of a process yeah. that is being done. So there's a lot of factors that one needs to, to put into this and also the demand, of course, from the other countries yeah. that are buying a lot of this meat. Uh, Germany also announcing in October 2023 that they would be phasing out the transportation of live livestock. Uh, Germany is, is, is a very big play in the live livestock transportation trade. But but Tony Brockhoven, thanks so much for joining us. Let me honest, be honest with you. As a, as a as a meat eater and someone who enjoys red meat protein, I am finding it particularly more and more difficult to defend my consumption of red meat, particularly if I am not the one who's raising it, who is slaughtering it, who is consuming every bit of it. But I want my pe- my cheap piece of chop. I want my cheap chicken from somewhere. And therefore, I'm relying on an economy that works on a... a, a, a a cost of scale and the transportation of animals to our destination, I have a very, very difficult time now defending my consumption of red meat, knowing exactly how, what, 23 billion animals are transported this year? Tony? Good morning. Thank you for the opportunity. Lester, it's very nice to know that you are, in fact, a decent human being, because that is and should be the reaction of all decent people everywhere. Um, this is not about whether we eat animals or we don't eat animals. This is about the fact that we are not treating them with even the most basic of, uh, of, <sighs> we're not treating them humanely in any way, shape or form. Sorry, I got stuck for words there for a second because I was trying to articulate something. I mean, the fact that these animals, um, undergo seasickness and overcrowding, and injuries and diseases and all the rest of it is inexcusable. And I don't believe 
that there is no economy of scale where we cannot in this country um, build more abattoirs, which would in fact be more beneficial from an economic point of view, because of course there are the aligned industries that go with it, um, such as the packaging and the labeling and such like. Um, there is no excuse at all for transporting animals by sea, knowing that they're going to go what they undergo what they uh, what they have to. Uh, many people were outraged by seeing some of the pictures on board the Al Kuwaiti last week, but but as some have noted. If anyone who is a consumer of meat were to be or ever visit a a traditional feeding trough, it would look almost exactly the same as the Al Kuwaiti and the way that treat the animals are treated and exploited for for mass consumption. Is there any difference between what we see on live livestock vessels like the Al Kuwaiti and what we see at your at your farms with 19,000 heads of cattle grazing and brought into an area where they feed and then gone to slaughter? There is a significant difference, and I'm not here to defend the consumption of animals in any way, shape, or form. The difference between the animals on land is that, for example, when they are shipped off from one area to an abattoir, they will not be, according to the um, Livestock Welfare Committee themselves, they will not be transported for periods in excess of 18 hours. And if the journey is longer than that, they must be offloaded, provided with feed, potable water, and shelter. Um, and unweaned um, animals are not allowed to be transported. And if they are, they must be conveyed together with their mothers. There's a whole list of things that happens to animals on land that does not happen to those wretched animals on, on a ship for two, three, or four weeks at a time. Also, in temperatures that are absolutely unbelievable. Um, I would like to point out while I'm here that the, there is a coalition to ban live export, and they are calling everybody who consumes red meat to boycott the red meat industry until there is a moratorium in live export from South Africa. Um, uh, if you it, have it's going to be very, it's very, going to be very difficult to. To I think meet the heart and mind of someone who is a red meat consumer to call them to boycott if the price of the red meat protein is going to escalate, is going to skyrocket in price based on the cost of scale in transporting live animals in this manner. It's gonna have to, I, I, I can't think, and I'm not defending the live transport of animals, but I cannot think of a more efficient and a, and a cheaper way of transporting these animals to the final destination for slaughter. Tony? I hear exactly what you're saying. The point is that South Africans are not going to be impacted by this cost increase. It's the people who live overseas, and we're not interested in them. Um, we are calling on South Africans to demand a moratorium on live export from South Africa. That is not going to impact on the cost of their plate. Tony, let's take a break. Uh, Tony Brockhoven, chairperson of Beauty Without Cruelty, will come back with uh, Angus McIntosh, also known as Farmer Angus. Up next, he's into sustainable farming and how do we find a middle ground on this? It's 20 minutes past 8 o'clock. More eyewitness news traffic in 10 minutes. Welcome back. 21 minutes past 8 o'clock. Join now by Angus McIntosh, also known as Farmer Angus, and he is part of... Uh, 
a ever increasing um, sustainable farming movement. Um, Angus, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Uh, Tony spoke about the transportation of, of animals longer than a certain set of hours. They need to stop, need to be fed, need to have fresh air, need to be able to move. But we also know that we do have animals that are transported from the north of this country uh, down here to the Cape, 1,400-kilometer journey. You can't say that that is not equally as distressing as as being confined onto a a container ship, is it, Angus? Lester, morning to you and to Tony and to Tabile. Thank you for getting me on. I would like to note that um, there's a lot of things I want to address very, very quickly. The one is the issue on price, transportation, all that stuff. But I would also like to note that it's amazing for me how irate everyone's got about boats arriving in of this boat arriving in Cape Town, and yet there's silence about what's going on in Gaza. Um, it's uh, um, so. Let's just get to the first point about price. You talked about your guilt in a way of eating red meat. Okay. What I'm trying to tell you is that there is an alternative to feedlot beef. It's called grass-fed beef, okay? It is not only nutritionally superior, it is ecologically superior, okay? We've, we have, um, the result of how we raise our animals is we have done what's called sequestering carbon. So we've pulled carbon into our soils. We have been paid for increasing the carbon in our soils. Um, at the same time, we produce beef that is nutrient-dense beef. The, because the animal is eating grass, you're not getting an over-influx of omega-6, which is an inflammatory stimulator. And then even conventional beef, this is a discussion I have with my staff all the time about what they eat. I say, let's look at the per kilogram price of a little packet of chips, the 20 gram chip packets that everyone loves buying. It's 166 rand a kilogram. Beef, mince, beef mince is 90 rand a kilogram. So people need to buy for nutrient density. The 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 um, last thing about transportation, which just boggles my mind, is why do we even have to transport live animals? Why can't we slaughter them and transport the carcasses and, or, 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 or the meat? You know, you use the offal um, for composting, the hides are for different things, the bones are for different things. It, it, transportation is, a, is dependent on weight. So a live animal weighs, sorry, the carcass is 55%. 52 to 55% of the live weight is the carcass. So I don't understand why they're just not transporting carcasses around the world. And then the last thing I'd like to say, Lester, is around the issue of mobile slaughter. I tried back in 2009 to engage the Western Cape Department uh, to invest in mobile slaughter because that would address a lot of the, of the uh, stress that farmers have loading cattle onto their trucks for slaughter. But the government just wasn't interested in supporting mobile slaughter, which is which is a tragedy. Um, uh, many people are on our WhatsApp line here, um, Angus, uh, obviously decrying the the, the the treatment of of animals in in this particular form of transportation. But how many people actually know or would know? With uh, of how they the animals that they consume the meat that they consume has been treated in the most ethical, humane, and transported in an ethical, humane way. One of the biggest, the overall largest number of animals that are transported by sea are in fact chickens. 
And over the last few years, South Africans have been importing chickens from Brazil. And I want to know if do people who are rightfully outraged by by the Al-Kuwaiti would actually know whether they actually in fact consumed animals that were transported via an animal carrier. Lester, the, the, the tragedy is that most people have no idea where their food comes from. And unfortunately, most people don't have the luxury, and I'm talking about the masses of people who don't have really much of a choice about what they can buy, don't have the luxury to go and investigate where their food comes from. The, the, the best certification is a visit to the farm. Okay? We, are off, we have an open-door policy in our farm. People can come visit anytime they want. Um, as you rightfully said earlier, that if people go to a conventional beef feedlot and they're within a 50-kilometer radius of Cape Town, they will be as offended on all their senses as they would um, by the Al-Kuwaiti. It's caged animal infrastructure. This is what humans have deemed that uh, animals that we eat need to be raised in their toilets. And the most important thing that I'm trying to get across is it doesn't have to be that way. There is a regenerative form of agriculture that uses animals to heal the land and produce nutrient-dense food at the same time. So the, the chickens, I don't think the chickens are brought in live from Brazil. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of Brazilian chicken that's dumped in South Africa, but that's uh, mostly drums and thighs. Uh, Tabili, does South Africa currently have any any policy to, to recognize that ethics need to be, play a role when, we come, when it comes to our live export of particularly sheep and goats from the Eastern Cape, Tabili. Do we have any formal policy that looks at the well-being of animals that are transported from this country? Okay, thanks, thanks, Lester. Um, so uh, internally, that is within uh, the borders of South Africa, there is... Um, uh, there's a standard that is being put within uh, the department. The Department of Agriculture is the one that is leading that process. And for for farmers or producers that are to uh, transport products from parts of, of of any province from South Africa, remember, some provinces cannot produce as much as they need, which is something that is also a, a spill over to the world. Other countries cannot be able to produce as much of uh, beef or, or sheep as they would like to consume. So within our borders, the department has uh, strict measures that are put uh, to sort of make sure that the product, the, the, the animals that are transported from um, South Africa are, are, are within the, the borders, of course, uh, are transported in a manner that is not, uh, at least according to the standards that have been provided from the department, uh, that are, uh, are deemed uh, conducive or at least, uh, 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 you know, in a better, treating the animals better than they were in, in some some years ago, but of course, this will not be. Uh, I don't think it's going to be satisfactory satisf for everyone. But they are a bit of means. I think Angus in, in this, uh, and they can also be able to sort of add to that. But they are a bit of uh, you know um, procedures that needs to follow. They fill some forms and everything. If going to issues of traceability and, and all that. Uh, Tony, I'll leave it with you uh, by saying that. What a great enlightenment for people last week without with all the shock and the the gnashing of teeth and the and the wailing of this uh, monstrous ship of nineteen thousand heads of cattle arriving in our port of Cape Town creating this big stink. I think it actually was quite good so that people and consumers of animal products can see how a broader industry works, how an economy 
works. And if we also want to adapt our consumption habits, we also have to understand how economies work, how businesses work, how capitalism works. So I think I'm actually quite happy that we have had last week, many of us being taken over by this discussion, because now we can have a conversation. Do we actually know how the meat that we eat is produced and how it's transported? Tony, so I see the silver lining in this Al-Kuwaiti story. Uh, Lisa, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and hopefully people will realize also that this doesn't just apply to shipped, uh, shipped animals. And while Mr. McIntosh has very lofty ideals and, and has a very genuine intention of doing the right thing, it's just not sustainable, given the fact that we now insist on eating animal products three times a day, every single day, 365 days a year, and the cheaper and the better. But we hope that people's consciences will now be clear. And now that they know exactly what happens, they will start rethinking their outlook and the fact that um, there are other options and everybody can afford beans. Uh, Angus, I'll, I, I have 60 seconds for you to respond. Uh, Lester, yes, lofty ideals. That's what we live for. Um, I would encourage anyone who's interested in how to feed South Africa regeneratively to go to my website. I've published a, 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 a blog on that. Um, doing some very basic calculations, how we totally can change our food system. It's possible. It's not probable. We will, there will be no feedlots. We'll produce everything off, off pasture. We'll sequester gigatons of carbon. Um, in fact, if every farm in South Africa sequestered as much carbon as we do, South Africa would be net zero 2.83 times. And we are a huge emitter of uh, CO2, but we have the ability to pull that all into the soils if we change our farming methodologies. We don't have to have boats. We don't have to transport animals over massive distances. We have mobile slaughter on the farm. Angus Mashendosh, uh, Tabilun Gojana, Tony Brockoven, really appreciate your contribution to our Wednesday panel. We're taking our listeners' calls and thoughts and paying their messages after I.